0: really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelylea.com or at thelovelylea on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host Leah Lovely and today we're talking about shame. And shame is not an easy topic to talk about because shame is like a form of secret nastiness and rot that we feel inside of ourselves. And the first time I got kind of a grasp on what shame actually was is when I watched um, Brene Brown's famous TED Talk where she kind of explicitly goes through how she's a shame researcher and how when she would mention that, people would be like, oh, okay, and not really want to talk to her because shame is something that we have a difficult time talking about because it is usually some of our deepest and worst secrets. At least we think so. It's why when people are abused in such a way that they keep quiet and don't out their abuser because they feel immense amounts of shame. It's uh, what keeps us from going after our goals and our dreams. It's what keeps us from deeply connecting to other people because we're afraid of disconnection. And it's it's something that I didn't realize before I had my spiritual awakening that I lived with constantly. I used to be someone who was incredibly, um, stoic, I would say I prided myself on how little I cried. (laughs) I remember being like, I only cried once this year, you know, or at the max four times a year, you know, once per season. And for some reason I thought that was like a good thing, but I didn't want, I didn't want people to see me as weak and, because I knew that in our family, it was, well, at least for my dad, like not so much my mom, my mom was very emotional, but, um, that side of the family was like, it was like, you know, we don't, we don't talk about our problems. We don't tell people what's wrong with us. We don't tell people the ideas we have, you know, we don't, you don't tell anyone really anything. And it's most important that you keep the idea of our perfect family in our family, like, or sorry, um, to other people, if there's anything going on in our, in our family that it is not spoken about, no one should know. And I always thought that was kind of weird because there would be like, kinda, sometimes like really weird, like just stupid stuff that I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm coming back from a family reunion project. And, uh, you know, we had to make our family tree and I needed to ask my grandmother, <laughs> Um, you know who is this person who lives in this, you know, branch or you know whatever? And she's like, "Who asked you that?" And I'm like, "I mean, we're doing a project at school, you know, to map out our family tree." And she was like, "But who wants to know?" And I was like, "You know, it's it's a grandma. It's a project. Like, can you just tell me who this, you know, person is?" And she's like, "No, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. That's private." And I'm like, "This is." That's so bizarre. Something that I feel like we could probably find out on Ancestry.com, but we didn't have it then, that that there was some secret about, you know, someone in our family. And then it went deeper as I got older. It started to be like, I didn't know where my grandma was from. And, um, you know, big secrets around her age. And then when we asked our dad, my dad also kept that a secret and i thought this is really bizarre like what is going on on this side of our family but you know what it taught me to hold that part of myself anything that was going wrong to, to not talk about it to not tell people like what was wrong with me if i was upset um what was wrong with our family if things weren't going well it was important to keep the mask and the mask is interesting because we all hold some type of mask, right? And this mask is what we kind of hold in front of us as a way to cope with what it is we don't want to see. And, you know, your mask could be, I, I make this certain amount of money and I drive this car and I get to drive, buy these purses and, and look at this. Um, I have this unattainable body and I work out of the gym eight hours a day. And, you know, um, the, the strive for perfection in some sense, Maybe your mask is, I'm, a, you know, I'm someone who's not driven and I didn't go to college and, um, you know, I'm not smart. And so I don't need to be held accountable for some of the things for my actions, even though I know what I'm doing and those masks sound very opposite, but masks don't always have to be what we think is perfection. Let that be clear. Masks just need to mask what it is that we don't want people to know about us. It's um, the girl who acts ditzy in front of a boy. So he'll like her. It's the guy who has to have it all together. And uh, as Brene Brown says, sit on his white horse and not show that he has vulnerability, not show that he has emotion, not to dare show that there's any weakness. And that's the household I grew up in for the most part. And so when I learned those behaviors, it was for a long time, very difficult for me to get in touch with my vulnerability, with my authenticity, because I couldn't dare let anyone know that I was struggling, that we weren't getting food on the table. Um, or at least not a lot of food on the table or, um, you know, electricity went out or whatever. Don't tell anybody anything like that. Don't tell anybody about the spankings we got. Don't tell anybody about, um, you know, so it doesn't matter. You guys can fill in the blank for yourself, but I was hiding behind this kind of crippling fear that if people really found me out and found that I wasn't perfect, that, They wouldn't love me. I wouldn't be worthy of love. I wouldn't be worthy of connection. And I learned that kind of early when I went to sixth grade, uh, we changed schools and, you know, like every middle school kid before Instagram came out, um, (laughs) I went through massive awkward phase and came into the school of what what seemingly looked like all these girls who who knew like how to model or something it was so weird and i and i came in with myself knowing who i thought i was and how people accepted me and how i was a friend and you know whatever and i remember getting there and them them calling me names and and making fun as kids do and thinking okay if i can just be this then i i won't i won't be left out I'll be uh, worthy of connection, but I felt shameful about what it is that I couldn't change about myself. I felt shameful about my race, felt shameful about my weight. I felt shameful about how poor we were. I remember there was a day that I went to, um, we went to Hy-Vee and, you know, we could barely afford regular clothes from like, um, Walmart or Payless or, you know, something like that. And all of the girls, which now I think about it, this is so weird that people would buy their children in middle school, Abercrombie and Fitch and, um, you know, Calvin Klein and like really like name brands when you're going to grow out of them super fast. But anyway, um, and, and I remember telling my mom and saying like, why can't we afford these clothes? And, you know, how come my friend so-and-so lives in this house, but she's wearing Jordans and this and that my mom said something about how people prioritize their money. And she's like, we don't, we don't care about material things. And I'm like, you don't. Um, but I'm getting, you know, (laughs) hit top to bottom at school because I'm not wearing the right clothes. And so anyway, we went to high view one day and there was a couple shirts there that said, you know, Calvin Klein on them. And I was like, oh mom, please, please, can I have one of these shirts? Please can I have one of these shirts? I wanted the name brand so bad. And um, she says, we can't afford it. So um I scrounged up my money. The the shirt was only $10, and it was a knockoff Calvin Klein shirt. And I didn't know the difference. So I was like, sweet, okay, cool. And I <laughs> I bought that shirt and I took it to school more to school and I felt like I was beaming. I felt like this was the best thing in the world. People are going to notice me. I'm wearing a name brand. I'm worthy. And I remember, I think her name was Ashley Mickelson. She came up to me and she said, that's not a real Calvin Klein shirt and i was like yes it is <laughs> she's like uh uh it's a fake and somehow because i was not uh well versed in designer clothing <laughs> I, d- I had no idea like what a fake looked like um versus the real thing and so uh checked the label myself not even think i had never thought to check the label and recognize that this was actually not a Calvin Klein shirt and the shame that i felt the rest of the day I had felt like I had been outed. That everyone could see that I was a fraud. That everyone could see that in my efforts to be like them, in my efforts to connect with them, in my efforts to be loved, in my efforts to fit in, that they could see that I was a fake. And it was all too much for a kid in middle school. And I remember when. I went to ninth grade. There was a girl who used to live next door to me. Her name was Jennifer. And, uh, she had tons and tons of clothes and we happened to wear the same size. And so I, I remember her being like, yeah, if you ever want to borrow some of my clothes, you can. And I was like, sweet. And I went over to her house every morning and shopped in her closet to wear her clothes. And now I think about this and I'm like, this is, this was super out of touch. Um, and I, at some point, maybe like a month and a half in, because she was taking me to school. and We were just kind of like, she was kind of ushering the way for me in high school and I had all these really cute clothes to wear. And I felt good. I felt like, okay, I have enough of this mask to, to feel like I can be one of them. And at some point her mom said, Hey, um, you know, um, my mom doesn't think it's okay for you to wear my clothes anymore. And I just thought, what how am I going to wear? I'm in high school. Like, how am I, how am I going to survive my freshman year? I have to get a job. Mind you, I'm 14. And, uh, I just like, I immediately felt like, okay, I I need to do whatever I need to do at all costs. So people don't know I'm poor. I have to do whatever at all costs to make sure that, that, that my reputation stays intact because I started off this year on a good foot where I had lost a bunch of weight, and i I had got my hair straightened, and um you know my braces were coming off, and my glasses were coming off like I can't mess this up. I have a reputation to uphold and and ended up working this job at fourteen to buy these clothes and spending lots of money on things that you know I just named brands that I thought like these would work now. If you're wondering why I'm telling you this long story, it's because out of all the stuff that I felt like I needed to do, I wanted to hold, I held these material items and these material things as a way to block people from, not block people, but mask what I didn't like about myself. I thought if I could wear these things, then I would be accepted. And in fact, as superficial as high school students are, I was. Suddenly, people noticed me. Suddenly, people talked to me. Oh, I like your shirt. And I got all this validation for a part of me or part of things that I didn't actually care about. I just didn't want to be shamed anymore. I didn't want to feel like I wasn't a part of the group. I didn't want to be the outcast. And shame is a powerful thing, right? Shame is what drove me into my eating disorder of 10 years. If I could just be this, then I would be enough. If I could just be that, then I would be loved. And it's something that existed for so long because it existed so well in the secrecy of the rot I was feeling. And it's, this is interesting to just kind of discover probably right now. I was probably a really depressed kid, but I wore my smile really well. It was important that people didn't know that I was hurting so much, how much I cried, how much I longed for depth and attention and approval. And it's kind of what got me, especially within, you know, the church, it was a lot of shame there too. I remember our youth pastor saying, if you know five songs, but you don't know by heart five scriptures, what are you doing with your life? Something along those lines. If you know 10 songs, but you don't know 10 scriptures, you know, and and giving us the the guilt, (laughs) The, the, the guilt game was so strong. I remember thinking, God, oh my God, I know like 200 songs by heart, but I don't know 200 scriptures. Like, I'm a heathen. Let me figure out how I can earn this worth and validation. Uh, it was so difficult for me to separate someone else's expectations and someone else's shaming and projection from my own self-worth and value. And I couldn't be vulnerable about that. I couldn't tell people in the church, I'm struggling with lustful thoughts. I'm struggling with feeling like I can be honest I'm struggling with hating myself. I'm struggling with eating. I'm struggling with not being the perfect Christian. I'm struggling with staying here on this earth. I couldn't, I couldn't tell anyone. Because God forbid, quite literally, I expressed the parts of me that felt so deeply misunderstood. If anyone found out, I would be rejected and I couldn't risk that. It, it was interesting. Brene Brown talks about how shame survives and shame survives and survives in environments that encourage guilt, secrecy, and silence. But if you give shame, empathy, it, it cannot survive. And empathy in her words was me too. You ever talked to somebody and, and, and told them and shared with them something that you were so scared that they would reject you on or judge you on or express something that, that was so heavy to you. And people said, oh man, me too. What a weight is that's lifted off your shoulders. Like to be able to have that validation that someone says, I see you where you're at and I accept you. I've been through it too. To say, see a situation and know I'm not the only one. I am not alone here. It is so incredibly powerful to be able to be in that space of acceptance and love, and ultimately connection. Because shame exists because we are fearful that if we express these things, we will find ourselves in spaces of disconnection. And that's what keeps us from being vulnerable, right? That's what keeps us from being emotional about things that are important to us. You know, we have, as a society, spoken very deeply that that vulnerability is weakness. It is um, the idea that if we share where we're hurting or what's wrong with us, then we are not holding the mask that is important to everyone else, it seems, even if we're dying behind it. And it's interesting because so many of you have even told me that in my expression of the things that I've been through and being super vulnerable with you has been brave. What courage, not just me, anybody who gets up and speaks on, on their stuff, on their shit. And so where is it that we get this idea that vulnerability is weakness? It's ingrained in us from childhood, at least from mine. And so, you know, Give an example. When we get in trouble, when we're little, um, we may have gotten just gotten a spanking or chastised or something, and had a punishment. And my father would tell us, "Straighten up that face." Famous words. Straighten up that face. Smile. And in our tears, in our pain, in our feeling brokenhearted, in our shame. We were taught, I don't, I don't want to see it show that you're happy about what I just did show that I'm. Ha- you're happy about your punishment. And it wasn't until I was in, uh, my relationship with my ex-husband that that got brought to, uh, large attention. <laughs> we were in the grocery store. I may have told the story before, but we were in the grocery store It was our first fight and, um, (laughs) we were talking about toothpaste or orange juice or something. I don't remember. And funny enough, never brush your teeth and drink orange juice, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I remember thinking like, um, him saying something about a brand or something like that. And I just felt like he was very nitpicky about what we picked. And for me, I was like, which one's the cheapest? We shopped very differently. And I was getting really irritated because we were in that store for such a long time. And this is before I knew I was an empath and there was so much noise and stuff. and I was getting so agitated. And, um, in that, while we were having this, you know, um, vibrant discussion about toothpaste, I began to smile and, you know, who knows, maybe like the Joker. I don't know. I can't see my face, but I begin to smile and I begin to just, you know, light my face up in a way. Where how he perceived it is that I was looking at him like he was a dumbass, like I was mocking him or making fun of him, and he was like, "You're smiling, why are you smiling? And I was like, I'm not smiling, And to him, that was protesting behavior <laughs> um and i and I genuinely didn't think I was smiling. I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, and over time, I learned that, yeah, when I get mad, I start smiling because. I learned that from having to hide my emotionality when I was a kid. And when I got mad and I got upset because those emotions weren't allowed in our household and it wasn't okay to be vulnerable and my father was uncomfortable with our emotions that and it you know I this is how I needed to behave. This is how I learned how to cope. This is the mask I learned how to use in order to survive. So I couldn't be authentic when I was mad. I couldn't speak my truth. I couldn't cry. I couldn't tell people something was wrong. I couldn't tell people I was hurt. I had to straighten up my face. I had to look at people and say, I'm okay. I'm I'm happy about what's happening right now. I don't care. I'm fine. And what boils in that silence is the shame of the weakness I felt. You know, shame operates in so many different facets, but for me, for sure, the easiest one, the quickest one was to feel shameful about my emotions. I was a sensitive kid. I'm a sensitive person now. And then I felt so shameful about having feelings. I shut down my feminine side. No, these don't belong here. It was more praised if I could, I could be stoic. If things didn't hurt me, if someone's responses and reactions didn't get me, I was more powerful then. No one could hurt me, and all the while, me being quiet about how I felt about something would boil, and get festering underneath my skin. It's how I lived a good two years of my marriage. It's how I lived a very large part of my high school and college years. It was too painful to tell people who I really was. And I know for a lot of you, that is, that is your story. Maybe it's not everyone's story, but I know that shame operates in a way that limits our ability to open up in vulnerability. And If we can't be vulnerable with other people, they cannot offer us their empathy. And if they cannot offer us their empathy, and if we cannot offer ourselves any empathy, then how in the world do we get rid of our shame? How long do we let it exist from underneath us? and dictate our decisions, dictate what we buy, dictate what direction we think we should go. I felt shame for a long time about how much sex I had when I went on my year of dating. I'll say the rampage, I called it. Uh, It wasn't a lot (laughs) in the grand scheme of things if I'm comparing it to other people, but it was a sure lot for me. And I remember thinking and feeling so shameful about it. Like, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. And feeling trapped by the ideas around morality and shame that was taught to me as a woman and what it meant to be a woman of standard, a virtuous woman, a pure woman the idea of purity mean, don't get me started on that oh that's another thing it does incite so much shame that if you are a woman who has slept around then you are all used up mind you there are plenty of men that are sleeping with you but you're the one who gets used up somehow i don't know anyway um but i held that for a long time of saying okay because i made these quote-unquote mistakes that i'm not I'm not really worthy of love. I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know worthy of a man who, blah blah blah, fill in the blank. And that that shame message guided and moved me in ways that let rot sit and fester, because I couldn't express to anyone the mistakes I felt I made. I kind of let people know what I thought I did wrong. I look back now and I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was being a, a liberated woman in New York City. So what? <laughs> I figured out what I liked and what I didn't like. Um that's good. <sighs> but like the the shame message was still there. Society even, you know. Oh what? You did what? Anyway, you know, you guys even. Like, I don't I don't think you'll shame me, but you know putting this out here, right? Like this, an immense amount of vulnerability to just straight up say something like that. One, because I've gotten to a place where I just don't care what anybody thinks. But second, I had to realize that that authenticity is what brought in other people's stories and the ways in which they talked about what made them feel shameful and how those lies and that rot kept them from from proceeding and doing things because they just didn't feel like enough. I don't feel worthy of the things that I want. I don't feel beautiful enough. I don't feel smart enough. And wh- whatever other lies, you know, we're telling ourselves, most people deal with the the lie, I am not enough. Most people. And it comes from shame. Why are we taught to hide when we're sad? Why are we taught to hide when we're angry, when we have emotions, when we're when we felt we've we've done something wrong? Brene Brown talks about the difference between uh, guilt and shame, and guilt is, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. But shame is very different and incredibly powerful. And it says, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. And when she said that, that hit me across the face so hard because we do all struggle with guilt, right? And we, we go into our admissions to other people or whatever about something that we did because something that we did is a moniker of our behavior, not about who we are necessarily. But shame is about who we are definitively. And it's based on our character, our innate being. And shame says, I'm not worthy. And when you tell people, I feel like I'm not worthy. And someone says, oh, man, I'm," me too. I struggle with that too. Don't you feel like a massive weight come off your shoulders? Why? Because it means you're not alone. It means that <laughs> you are not this this person in the silo who is undeserving of everything else everyone else is. It it shows you connection. You are connected with someone because you made yourself vulnerable. And this is, this is the power of vulnerability. It exercises our hiding. It exercises our rot. And it gives us an ability to connect with others in a space where we can feel safe again. And mind you, be careful about who you're vulnerable with. Because there are those people. This is where we learn it, right? Like when we learn these behaviors, we learn vulnerability was weakness, and that then someone we would become a target to someone. You know, this this behavior doesn't come out of nowhere. There's definitely people out there that make you feel like that, and it's kind of like um, you know when we get comments on the YouTube or on the podcast or something, and and uh, you know someone who's triggered by something we say, um, the vulnerability that we say or I say. Uh, And comes and says, I have something to say about this. And, you know, let me shame you about that. And you did this wrong and whatever. To uphold people to a standard that is unrealistic and to fire them (laughs) under their ability to put themselves out there. uh, Which is really tricky. And this is why we get nervous and scared about opening that part of ourselves. But... I'm going to bet you that whatever it is that you feel like you're hiding right now, if you go to a trusted friend, family member, partner, whoever, in a true authentic desire to connect and you express to them what is on your heart about what you feel shameful about, I'm going to probably bet and hopefully bet that you're going to be met with empathy. And that someone, someone sees you and essentially allows you to breathe out of that shame. I think that if you are in a place right now where you find yourself making excuses of why you can't do something, not just, not just about what you can express or what you can't express, shame also hits us in our our dreams, the way we see our life what we see for ourselves. And it tells us that we're not good enough. And it essentially affects the trajectory of where we see ourselves because we have to live under the rod of the lie. And ultimately that lie is what keeps us from being vulnerable. So I guess the moral of the story is, is let yourself be authentic and let yourself be vulnerable about what it is you're feeling shameful about so you can get rid of the lie. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you in the next one.